Hey, welcome to Victory Church. Do me a favor if you can, just take a second, maybe air high five somebody. If you're close enough to them, maybe you can, you can actually high five them depending on uh, if they came with you. If they came with you, you can touch them. Did y'all know that? You can touch them if they came with you. Uh, if they didn't, then, then certain, there's certain laws there. Moving on. Uh, so, so, so welcome to Victory Church. Before we get into the word today, I want to give you just a couple of quick announcements. Um, right off the bat, if you're visiting with us in person or online, we, we love to do our best to get you connected. And so we're going to put on the screen a number that you can connect or you can text to connect. And the way you do that is you text it to the number 31996, that's the phone number, and the message in your little message area would be Victory18. And what that does is that's going to send you a digital connection card, and there's all kinds of boxes on there you can check from, uh, I choose to believe Christ as my Savior, which we'll talk about at the end of service. Uh, I'd like to be baptized. I'm interested in the dream team if you'd like to serve. You have any kind of questions, there's a little other box that you can just write in any question that you might have. But it's just your opportunity to connect, because in reality is this, we're going to have service, and service is going to end, and most people who are not serving or already know somebody here, you're going to kind of make your way to the car, and you're going to say, man, I, I want to get connected. I want to know more people. That's the way to start to do it. When you do that, we'll reach out to you about the middle of the week and do our best to answer any of your questions, so please do that for us. Uh, also, if you're looking for a way to give, we have three ways to give here. You can do it online or our app. You can actually text to give. Um, or as you're walking out, there's a little black box right there in that little small lobby where if you're wanting to give cash or check or anything like that, we're trying to do our best to keep it contactless during the season. And so you can do it those ways that are coming up on the screen or the box as you go. Before we jump into the word, I, I want to give you a couple of quick announcements. We got some really, or I'm sorry, a couple of quick dates. We have some really big Sundays coming up. And so let's start with today. Today, right after church is growth track. And so Growth Track, we've not had it since uh, the pandemic hit and we had to close our doors, but we are starting it back this Sunday. So right after church, when you walk out, there'll be some people that will direct you. It's probably going to be about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, and, and what Growth Track is, is it teaches you all about the church, our theology, what we believe in, uh, our culture, and then it's your next steps to be able to get involved and connected. So if you have been serving and you haven't had the opportunity to go to Growth Track, I'd encourage you to do it if you can. Uh, if you have been attending and you say, man, I really want to know more, I want to get more connected, I want to start serving, I want to know what they believe in, and so on, so on, go to that class. Again, about 30 minutes, they'll direct you where to go right after service, and you'll be able to get all your questions answered. On Memorial Day weekend, this is important for you to listen, because somebody's going to mess around and come up here, and the doors are going to be locked, all right? So everybody listen, on Memorial Day weekend, on that Sunday, we will not have a live in-person service. It'll be online only. We know everybody likes to travel Memorial Day. And we respect that. We want you to really pour into your families. We also like the idea of giving our, our relentless, faithful, loving team, serving team, volunteer dream team to be able to have a Sabbath Sunday off. And so just, again, spread the word. We will not be here the weekend of Memorial Day. If you show up, the doors will be locked and you'll be like, Joy, I didn't even, I'm telling you right now. All right, you know right now. Um, and then right after that, the next weekend, a buddy of mine that we've been supporting his ministry since we moved here, his name is Scott Horde. He does a ministry where he, he, he talks with families who are considering abortion, and he, he walks them through other options. And his ministry is just amazing. He recently resigned from being a pastor and went full on with this ministry. The stories are incredible. And he's going to be here the first Sunday in June to share about that because, we, again, we've been supporting him. You've been supporting him financially from the moment we've launched our church. But I guarantee you, you'll walk out of the doors that day and go, that was the most incredible thing I've ever heard. Just powerful. He's an incredible guy. And then we start getting into Father's Day. And then last calendar item, June 27th, is our church picnic. Come on, let me hear you. There we go. Little excitement in here. Look, we weren't able to do it last year, obviously, but it's something we love to do here. So June 27th, go ahead and start putting your calendar. So, so just get those things in your mind. Get them on your BlackBerry or iPhone or it's 2021. Do we still have Blackberries in 2021? No? Okay. So, so get, them, get them ready so that you'll know what's going on and happening here. Amen? You ready for the word? All right. If you got your Bibles, get to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Uh, if you are visiting with us or joining us recently, we, uh, we go through the books of the Bible expository preaching. We have, are in the book of Acts. We started the weekend after Easter. Uh, my wife preached last Sunday. Was anybody here for my wife? She did a great job, right? She, she did so good that she left me and went to Dallas, Texas. That's how good she did. She said, you know what? I'm too good for you. And so, uh, you know, bless her. She'll be back in town today. So thank y'all for your prayers. I'm surviving with my children. My mom came in town to help me. So that's the only reason I'm actually standing in front of you today. So everybody said, thanks, mom. There we go. Appreciate it. Um, so Acts chapter 4, we'll start verse 1. 
And in case you don't remember, because it was a couple of weeks ago that we were in Acts 3, when Peter and John are going to church, they pass a lame man that's in front of a gate called Beautiful, and he starts asking them for money, and they say, money I do not have, but uh, this I do have, and they, something better, and they heal him right there. And he starts praising and shouting God, goes into the temple, and now all the information is traveling and going around, and people are knowing what's happening, and Peter and John start to preach, okay? So that's what we're picking up on. Acts 4, verse 1, it says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, watch this, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The reason why that's an issue is because the Sadducees did not believe in an eternal life. They did not believe in eternity. That's why they were sad, you see. See what I did there? See what I did there? Uh, thank, thank you, Jeff. I, I have zero uh, entertainment skills today, apparently. But, but they didn't believe that. So when Peter and John start preaching in afterlife, that's what gets them mad. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was the evening, they put them in jail until the next day. If you've ever been arrested at night, you go to jail through the next day for all my sinners who've been saved. Um, but many who heard the message believed. So many people who heard Peter and John believed. Watch this. So the number of men who believed grew to about five. Thousands. So now 5,000 people are believing in the message of Jesus that Peter and John are preaching, and they're following as Christians. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas and John and Alexander and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power or by what name are you doing this? So, so, you know, what's going on here? All this stuff is crazy. You're causing trouble. We've had to arrest you. So just tell us by what name you're doing this, and then we can kind of shut this down. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, exclamation point. He yelled, rulers, elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness that we showed to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, if that's why we're here, then know this. You and all of the people of Israel know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and the courage of John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, that were, and they were there then astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let me ask you a quick question to just kind of judge my audience here. Has anybody in here ever felt insecure? Praise God. I picked the right message. All right. Um, do me a favor. If you're with somebody... Somebody you can talk to, look at them and say, I'm insecure because of a million little things. That's the title of my sermon today, A Million Little Things. I'm insecure, not because of one big thing, but I'm insecure because of a million little things. I'll never forget, uh, I've done a lot of discipling of young men through our ministry years especially young men who want to be pastors. And so I was talking to a guy one time, and he said, hey, Pastor Troy, can I ask you a question? When exactly did you feel qualified to pastor a church? When did you feel qualified? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you, I still don't feel qualified to pastor a church. Sometimes I wonder why you guys even come. And so I'm like, you know, I, just, just, I, don't, I don't feel that. I don't, I don't feel qualified. So then he changed his question, and he said, okay, then let me ask you this. What, what was it? What was the moment that made you want to become a pastor? Like, like what, what was that incident that you went from being, you know, Troy Powell, Craigmont High School graduate, whatever, and you decided you wanted to be a pastor? And I thought about it and started thinking about the day that Brian brought me to church and started thinking about all the pretty girls that went to church. Um, and I started thinking about you know, the, my first time I heard my youth pastor preach, who guy who went on to be my youth pastor, and then the first time I heard Pastor Ron, who is still my spiritual father and pastor today, preach, and I, I remember the first time I actually, you know, felt something, and I went down to an altar for prayer. I remember when I first started to believe in Jesus. I remember when I first started to understand the Bible, and I was just going through all these things, and I looked at him. I said, man, to be honest with you, 
It's not one moment. It's like a million little things. You know, it's like there wasn't just like this moment where I felt qualified or, or, or felt this desire to become a pastor. It was like a million little things that got me here. You know, the Gospels, we read John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Gospels are the teachings of Jesus to his followers. So he's teaching them, this is who I am and this is what you should be like. And the book of Acts is his followers taking those teachings and then going and putting them into action. This is why it's important for you and I to be reading the book of Acts right now. I don't know how many, I don't know who's been alive since the 70s. You remember the 70s? 70s, there was a time frame where if you said the name Jesus, people came running. And then there was like the 80s where you kind of had like revivals and things. And then the 90s, and I know you'll remember this, uh, Jamal, the 90s, we, we did bus ministry, right? Where people would actually go and get people and bring, that's how Jamal found the Lord, actually. People would go and get people and bring them back to the church. I think our, like this culture today, I don't know if it's not our generation, but today, I think what's going to happen is it's going to have to be the church going to people. I think the day of getting people and rushing them all back to the church is great and it works, but I think the real, the real mystery of the gospel that's going to happen in our age and our time today is us going out to them. And that's why it's so important for the book of Acts because that's what's happening. It's Christ's disciples taking what he taught them and then going out and doing what he told them to do. Go out and heal. Go out and preach the gospel. Go out and serve. Go out and wash feet. Go out and love. And they went and did it, and thousands of people got saved because of it. But I couldn't help but ask this question. At what point did they feel qualified to do it? You know, like at what point was Peter like, I'm ready for this? At what point was, was Andrew or, or Matthew, at what point were they like, we got this, let's go, we're qualified, God has told us what to do, Jesus gave us and he left, let's go. At what point? What, what test did they take that they passed that proved they were qualified? Because if you think about it, from the moment you were born, you have been going through tests of qualification, Right? You get born, uh, I think, I don't know if I can announce this right now, but uh, I think Amber Morton is in labor as we talk right now, so that's awesome. We'll have a baby coming. Go ahead and give God praise for that. Pray for, pray for a healthy delivery, God, on that family. We love them. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, when that baby's born, Arlo, they'll, they'll run Arlo through all kinds of tests to make sure that Arlo qualifies as a healthy baby. And then as you get into grade school, there's all these tests to make sure that you qualify to go to the next grade. And then as you turn 16, you go take a test to see if you qualify to drive a car, right? Then as you get ready to end high school, you take tests to see what kind of college you qualify for. And then when you get ready to have a job, you go put in an application and they call you for an interview because they want to see if you qualify for the job. And then when you decide to get married, you go and meet with the woman's uh father and mother to see if you qualify to marry them. Like it's just a constant life of tests to see if you qualify. So what's the, quali what's the qualification test to know if we're qualified to do what God has called us to do? In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it's God that qualifies you. Point blank. It says God qualifies you. But I want to show you today that God's qualification system is something different than we're used to. It's not external, it's internal. And when you start to learn that what qualifies you is Christ in you, then I think at some point it can start to relieve you of some of uh, those insecurities and it can put you in a place to do what God's called you to do. So when I read through Acts chapter 4, I couldn't shake the fact that I have insecurities all the time that I'm doing what God's called me to do. There's multiple times where I look at results and I wonder, am I the guy to do this? And what I saw in Acts 4 were two questions, two questions that I felt like I could start applying to my life that would help me understand that I'm qualified to do what God's called me to do. The first question is this, what is inside of me? That's the question we need to be ready to ask ourselves. What is inside of me? Let's go back to Acts chapter 4. We'll look at verses 8 through 10. It says, then Peter filled with the what? Holy Spirit. So it lets us know, before Peter gets up and says anything, it lets us know what is on the inside of Peter. 
Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' present, God's presence on earth while Jesus ascended. So the Holy Spirit in us is Christ in us. So it lets you right off the bat understand that Peter is doing this because Christ is in him. And then he goes on to say, rulers and elders of the people. He's talking to the authorities, the religious authorities. He's talking to those that are tied up and, and, and married to, you might want to say, to the Roman government. He's talking to the authorities, and he's talking with an exclamation point. Rulers and elders of the people. If this is what we're being called for, to account for this guy who we did something nice for, if that's what your problem is, is basically what he's saying. If you're here bugging me because we healed a guy who is a nice guy who needs healing, then I'm going to tell you right now with boldness and authority how we did it. We did it in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't like it, nobody cares because he came and you tried to kill him. And God raised it. He's like the, you know, sticking his tongue out at him. Where does he get this kind of boldness? There is, there is nobody more unqualified than Peter, okay? Nobody. And you can guarantee that the Sadducees and the rulers and the elders, they thought that when they stood up to Peter, they thought Peter would back down. When all of a sudden they heard, oh, Peter's causing some trouble, starting to get a crowd. People are starting to listen to him about eternity. And so they said, you know what? I'll tell you what. We'll step in. And then it'll be our authority. He's just an unschooled, ordinary guy. When we step up with our robes and our incenses and our boxes tied to our head, preach about that later. When we step up with that authority, he will back down and coward because he's an ordinary man. And when they stood up, Peter started yelling at them and telling them all this stuff. And they said, what's happening? And it was because of what was inside of Peter. He was filled with Jesus. Peter was so secure in who Jesus is that he was unfazed by who he is not. That's important for us to grasp, that we can be so confident and secure in who Jesus is that I am unfazed by the fact that I'm not something. Like Peter, listen to me, our boldness must not be founded in who we are, but in who is inside of us. Your boldness cannot be founded on you. And here's why. Because you have flaws. There's going to be moments where you fail. And so if you try to found, if you try to uh, build your boldness on you, there's going to be a moment where it won't succeed. So your boldness needs to be built not on you, but on who's inside of you, who is Christ. That's what you need to build it on. I mean, think about it. This is the same Peter, guys that one time tried to get in front of Jesus and stop Jesus from going to the cross. Y'all remember this? Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. This is the same Peter, the same Peter that's preaching to thousands of people, tried to stop Jesus from saving our lives. That guy. It's the same guy that got out of the boat and walked on water and thought he was all the stuff, and then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink. The same Peter that denied Christ three times. The same Peter I did some, I didn't end up preaching on this in John, but there's some theological study. You can find this if you're interested in it. But if you remember the time when Peter is being told by different people, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he says, no, I'm not. One of the times the theological study says that he cussed them out. You know, I don't know what cuss words were back then. I don't know what he said, but they were given a study saying that's basically what he did. <laughs> this, that's the Peter. That Peter is the Peter that's now preaching and thousands of people are being saved. What changed? Jesus inside of him. And what, here's what I want you to understand, that when you and I acknowledge, when we're honest with ourselves and we acknowledge our shortcomings, listen to me, the world is going to try to put a label on us. The moment you're honest with yourself, the moment you acknowledge what's not 100% perfect about you, the moment you even speak it, the world's going to try to put a label on you. Let me give you some evidence biblically, and then I'll give you some practically. Um, in that same story, John, I, I, we didn't go into this in detail when we were studying John, but I thought this was interesting. Do you remember when Christ reveals himself to the disciples? And at one point, there's a guy named Thomas who didn't make it. He wasn't there when Christ revealed himself. 
And so uh, he, he says to all the disciples, I'm, you know, I'm not sure I believe you. I'm going to need to see him. I'm going to need to put my finger in the hole in his hands and all this kind of stuff. And they start to label him something. Do you remember what they labeled him in the Bible? Anybody know it? What, what is it? Doubting Thomas, which is so funny because all the disciples would have been doubting had they been in the same situation Thomas was in. They got to just see Jesus. And they're like, oh, Thomas, <laughs> you're doubting Thomas. I'm like, bro, what's wrong with you? You, you just saw him. But it labeled him. Like all of a sudden now he's labeled because he was honest about a weakness. And for some reason, our culture, the moment you're honest about a weakness, what they want to do is they want to put a label on you. So let's be honest. If we followed in that pattern, we're getting preached to by profanity Peter. Right? This is profane Peter up here preaching the gospel. Like there could have been a moment. Let's put it on him. Let's call him what it is. Like who do you think you are? You're profane Peter. And, and would it be, I started thinking about this, like what would happen if people just started labeling us, you know, by our, I started thinking about me. I'm often insecure. I don't have a lot of talents. And I get around a whole bunch of people who have like insane amounts of talent. And I'm always like, how come God gave you all of that? And I can't, I can cook eggs. You know what I mean? Like, you know, was, and so I was like, what if I just started calling myself like talentless Troy? You know, don't. <laughs> Melanie's like, somebody get him a hug. You know what I mean? But if we just, uh, what about angry Andy? You know what I mean? I, I was trying to go through this in my mind. Like, I don't want to name somebody who's actually here. You know what I mean? Uh, jerkish John. You know what I mean? Like, what if you, whatever your shortcoming was just became this label on you? And it's real easy, guys, when that happens to start allowing that label to be what prevents us from doing what God's called us to do. And once we allow someone or something to label us, watch this, it will immediately begin to limit us. The moment you let somebody put a label on you is the moment it will start to limit you. I was watching an interview uh, with Bishop T.D. Jakes, and he was telling this story that I just thought was amazing. He, got, he, he had a friend who worked high up in the Washington Post, and the lady reached out to him and she said, Bishop, we'd love it if you would start writing articles for the Washington Post. And so he said, okay. And so he did. He started writing articles and he's sending them in. And he said, I sent about two or three in and I kept watching the comments that people would put, you know, after my articles. And he said, they were just, they were terrible. They were attacking me. They were saying, he said, so based off their comments, I just assumed that I wasn't good at writing articles. He said, so I quit, you know, I mean, this guy now has multiple books and so on, but he said, I quit sending in articles. He said, so months go by and I run into my friend again and she walks up to me and she goes, Bishop, uh, well, how come you're not submitting any articles anymore? And he said, well, you know, I submitted a few, and then I started watching the comments, and judging by what everybody was saying, they weren't liking the content that I was putting out, so I figured I probably shouldn't do it. He said, she started laughing. And he said, why are you laughing? And she said, Bishop, listen, the average person that reads the Washington Post has a master's degree. She said, the average person who's commenting on those posts can't spell. And it was a moment for him to realize that he allowed them to put a label on him, which caused him to limit himself and now miss out on something that God was wanting to use him for. And the people that were labeling him weren't even the people he was trying to reach, right? You and I have to make sure that we don't let what the world tries to put on us stop what God has put in us. Because that's what's going to happen. Understand, the moment you step out and try to do something for God, there's going to be something that comes and tries to stop you because the devil hates the fact that instead of you being under some type of depression or anxiety, that you're out trying to tell somebody about the saving power of Jesus, so he would rather put some type of label on you so that you would therefore limit yourself and the quicker we are to accept that, watch this, the quicker we let people place stuff on us, we eventually become loyal to our limitations. How many times has you, have you heard somebody say, you know what? My marriage is probably going to end in divorce because it runs in my family. I'm never going to be able to, to get out of all this financial debt because it just runs in my family. You know, I, I'm probably going to never beat this addiction because, you know, my grandfather and my dad just runs in my family. I was, me and my mom were talking the other night, 
I think one of the biggest lies that our culture has put on us today is a statement that labels us and then therefore causes us to limit ourselves, and it's this statement. It's just who I am. It's just who I am. What is that? That's a label that the world has put on you, and now it limits you, right? And now you're not doing something because, well, it's just who I am. Darla did a phenomenal job preaching last week about who you really are. And I think there comes this point for us where we have to understand that it's who you are is really defined by what's in you. And you can't let what people out there want to put on you to stop what's in you. The author of the book of John, John, the apostle John, writes later on, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And in 1st John, he writes this in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, hey, dear children, you're from God. You've overcome them, the things of this world, because watch this. The one that's what? In you. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. In other words, what's happening in you, the Holy Spirit inside of you, is greater than what any person will try to put on you. I'm a respecter of all things. I believe in medicine. I believe in, in counseling. I believe in, a matter of fact, I'm trying to get counseling. I believe in it all. You know what I mean? Like, I believe in all those things. But listen to me. The moment that you start letting what people have put on you limit what God put in you, there's a problem. Peter could have said, you know what? I'm just profanity Peter. I'm just failure Peter. I'm, I'm three times deny Peter. So how could God ever use me? But he forgot about everything that people tried to put on him, and he focused about what was in him, which was the Holy Spirit. And now he's preaching, and people are getting saved, and people are getting healed. And somebody says, Peter, how are you doing? In what name are you doing this? Is it your name, Peter? No, it's in the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Everything that you've been called to do, you've been given the ability and the power and the anointing to do through the name of Jesus Christ. At the moment you accepted salvation, he came in you through the Holy Spirit. And he's wanting to operate through you. But we have to know who's in us so we can push through what the world is trying to put on us. You know, anybody in here train people? Anybody here train people maybe in, in, in exercise or music? You train people maybe at work? Anybody in train people? W would you say that the hardest people to train are the people who think they know everything? You know what I mean? And now everybody's like, I don't train anybody, but I know that's true. Like you start trying to train somebody at a, at a music talent or, or in the gym or at work, and they think they know everything. They don't want to hear anything you have to say. Tommy and I are we're coaching our kids' soccer team. His son, Wyatt, my daughter, Casey, they're on the same soccer team together, and we're coaching them. And th this was, I think, our second year to do it together. First year was kind of you know, taken short by the pandemic. But spoiler alert, Tommy and I have never played soccer. Now, now Tommy's good at soccer because he's athletic. I, I, I didn't even know the rules of soccer. I didn't even know they had a goalie. Found that out, right? And so, you know, when you step in to coach, it's, it's kind of awkward. So one day, this is so great, we're having practice. And uh, Coach Dunn takes the kids to start running them through some, some, some drills. And I said, I'm going to address the parents. I'm going to talk them through some of the stuff, let them know that we're learning on the go and that, you know, here, you know, somebody needs to bring snacks, all this kind of stuff. So I go up, I get all the parents together. You know, it's in a pandemic world, so they're all trying to keep social distance. And I'm trying, I'm like, I, I, come closer. So I get them close and I, and I tell them everything and I get done. And this mom, mom of one of the kids, she raises her hand and she goes, can I, can I? And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And she goes, can, can I give some advice coaching because as a, as a coach myself, and anytime that happens, you know something good's not going to happen, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, and so I said, sure, you know, because I'm respectful. I'm a Christian. So I said, sure, you know, what, what is it, ma'am? And she goes, okay, so let me just give you some pointers. And I was like, okay. And she said, have you seen the movie The Mighty Ducks? And I was like, first of all, of course. Second of all, you know that's about hockey, right? Like, are you that blind? And she's like, you know the flying V? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm thinking she's going to tell me, like, how, you know, well, when Messi plays, he does it like this, and how to bend it like Beckham. And she's bringing me the flying V. You know what I'm talking about? Because it's hard to train people 
who think they know everything. It's hard to coach people who think they know everything. It's hard to be able to use people who think they're God's gift to the green earth. And so here's my question. Is it possible that God's favorite person to work with is the person who doesn't know why or how God could use them? What if that's God's favorite person to work with, that they're just willing and present? Why would Jesus pick the disciples he picked? Why would he pick a tax collector and fishermen? And why would he do this? Because he found a group of people who didn't think they knew it all. And so therefore, they were able to be used by God. And it's possible that those of us that are sitting back going, I don't have much to offer. This is what I used to do. This is my problem. I don't know how God could use me. And God's sitting back going, oh, this is going to be so great. Because people who think I can't use them are the people I work with the best. Because they aren't stepping into the relationship going, hey, God, this is how this is going to work. For example, the very people who are criticizing Peter are the same people that God couldn't use because they were so prideful and they were so confident in what they knew that God couldn't use them. And often the people who will put a label on you are the people who are too prideful to, for God to be able to use in the first place. So don't let the label that's on you limit and here's what I'm learning is that the Holy Spirit refuses to be loyal to my limitations. You might be loyal to them. Well, God can't use me because, well, I can't hear because of this. Remember what Moses told God? You can't use me. I can't speak. Right? We are so quick to be loyal to our limitations, but the Holy Spirit will never be loyal to your limitations. All right, so for some of you, that's enough, right? You're like fired up. You're like, all right, Jesus is in me. The Holy Spirit's in me. Let's go, Troy. Move out the way. I'm about to go preach to everybody. We're about to just church go. We're going to be able to actually pay for air conditioner. It's going to be so amazing. It's a joke. We're working on it, guys. Thank you for being patient with us. Um, but for me, it, it, it's not enough. Like, like there's, I've heard it all. I've read 2 Corinthians so many times. I've heard that the Holy Spirit's what is in me. I've, I've heard these things, and I still have moments where I struggle with believing that God can use me. So that question, what is inside of me, is helpful, but it doesn't always solve the issue. And I don't know if you relate to this, but I tend to find myself in a cycle of three questions. There's these three questions that I keep on asking when I start to imagine, is God wanting to use me? Do you have those questions for me? So I want you to look at this, because this is the triangle I get caught in all the time. One question may not be, it may not always be in this order, but one of the first questions is, if God has called me to do this and God is using me, then why isn't it going better? Why aren't we having better results? Why aren't we winning? <laughs> if, if, if God called me to do this, why does it feel like we're constantly losing, right? It's, it's an easy question to fall into. Sometimes the question that I start with is, if you called me to do this, then why are so many people better at it than me? Why are so many people having better results than me? If the Holy Spirit is in me, then how come they are achieving this and I can't seem to get past that? And another question often falls into, how come I'm not meeting expectations? If you call me to do this, I know my expectations, I know other people's expectations, I know our culture's expectations, and I'm not meeting them. And I kind of find myself in that weird triangle and sometimes it's question one, and sometimes it's question two, sometimes it's question three, but there's always these moments where something good will happen, and I'll be like, oh, God's using me, God's using me, and then all of a sudden, I start asking myself those questions, and I start assessing what's happening in the process of it, and I go right back to questioning whether or not I'm qualified to do what God has called me to do. I get caught in these questions of qualification. And it doesn't matter how many times I tell myself the Holy Spirit is in me. I go, well, then how come it isn't working better through me? If the Holy Spirit is in me, then how come John and Tom are doing better than me? If the Holy Spirit is working in me, then how come I'm not meeting the expectations that are put on me? What is going on? And I find myself in that constant triangle of questions, and I need something else to be able to help me in those seasons. Is anybody with me? 
So I'm reading Acts chapter 4, and that's the first question, what is inside of me? But then the Holy Spirit is so sweet to show me something else that happened in there. And the second question is this, what is around me? It's not just what is in me, but what is around me. So let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. They were blown away. These men must have been with Jesus because there's no way they could ever do it by themselves. And as soon as they wanted to start doubting them, watch this. But since they could see, since they could see the man that who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So Peter and John can doubt all day what's inside of them, but they could not deny the guy who's sitting right there that God had just healed through them. And there is something powerful when you and I step out of ourselves for a second and we recognize what God is doing around us. And you can argue you all you want to. You can look in the mirror all you want to and talk about how you're not as good as that and you don't look like that and you can't do that. And I don't, but you cannot argue what God has done around you. And if we will learn to ask those questions, number one, what's in me? I'll tell you what's in you. Jesus is in you. Thank you. Jesus is in you. Well, I don't know because I did this and I do that and tomorrow I'm probably going to do this. So, but yeah, okay, that's fine. I understand. He's working on you. But you cannot deny the miracles that God is doing around you through you. And if you focus on that, there has to be this moment of not pride. It's kind of a mixture of humility and anointing and just a, I don't even know how to explain it, a praise moment where you can just say, God, you really are doing something through me because I'm seeing what's around me. I started thinking about this because it's, it's an issue I have a lot. I told our directors on a meeting a few weeks ago, just so you know, uh, I don't know if you know this about your pastor. Um, I, I hope this is forever. I don't struggle with alcohol. I don't struggle with drugs. I don't struggle with, you know, any of the, the things that people tend to watch pastors fall with. It's just never been my problem. Um, my biggest problem is, is up here, insecurity and doubt, fear. It's why, one of the reasons why I have to go to that gym and pray every morning, because it's, it's dangerous up here. And so one of the reasons why I really hope you enjoy this message is because I needed it, and so I hope you need it. And so I started realizing, okay, if I know what's inside of me, it's not Troy. It's not, it's not Troy. It's, 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 it's the Holy Spirit. It's God operating. But sometimes it's not going the way I thought it was going to go, and sometimes this person's doing better at it than me, and sometimes I'm not meeting expectations, and I start to doubt that, and then I start to see this moment where Peter and John have this guy sitting right here or standing right here, and they cannot deny. Do you know I would have told that guy, hey, can you go with me everywhere we go? Because when I get to a place where I'm a little bit, you know, doubtful or insecure, I want to be able to look at you and say, well, if God did that, he's going to do more. And so I started thinking, about, hey, hand me one of those real quick. I started thinking about this. And one of, the, one of the first things that came to my mind was when we launched this church, we had this dream to raise $175,000. We wanted to launch debt-free. We wanted so bad to get in front of you and say, we're a debt-free church. Um, and, and we were going we to launch in September of 2018. And we decided that we were going to move it up, and we launched in January of 2018. And so we lost about nine months of fundraising time. We were $65,000 short of our, of our goal. And we were like, and some of y'all have heard the story, but we were like, man, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to borrow money. Like, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but you got to do what you got to do. We got to buy equipment and all these different things. And we have, I have a relationship with a church in Clarksville, LifePoint Church, and a good friend of mine, Pastor Mike, we had been talking about their board becoming our board during that season. And kind of becoming like a parent church for us during this infant season that we are as a church. And they called Darla and I and said, hey, why don't you come up? I want you to meet the board. We want to film a little video of you, you know, telling the church that we're our relationship. We come up there. And in the middle of the video, Mike, Mike starts talking about finances. And I'm like, why is he talking about finances? And we turn around and he hands us a check for $65,000. You can't make those kinds of stories up. It was so much fun telling our team, like, hey, remember this mountain 
God just provided it. So there's just one of those moments where God's like, hey, remember that? Do you remember that? Hand me another one of them. I, uh, you, you're one of these boxes. You know that? We'll save that for the altar. Um, I started thinking, we're three years old. Three years old. And, and one, I guess you could say four. One of those years, we couldn't even meet. Y'all remember how terrible that was? Church, you've already given $100,000 to different organizations and nonprofits in Smyrna and around the world. As a three-year-old church, I was doing the calculations on that with water filters and uh, food banks and Empowerment Incorporated and Operation Savings Lab. I started doing all the math. I'm like, we're over 100000 If we're not here, where does that come from? $100,000? God's like, think about that. I, uh, I get to disciple a couple of guys. It's a privilege to disciple anybody. And, and two, two things happened recently to me that were just really powerful. Uh, one is one of the guys that I discipled, a good friend of mine. We were just sharing time together, and he started opening up about just how much it's changed him. And y'all, I'm telling you, it's amazing. You know, when you, when you see what God is doing in and through an individual in just six or seven or eight months and just hearing him talk, talk about his life and decisions he's making and the way his mind works now, it just it's maturity, it's, it's spirituality. It was just amazing. And then one Sunday, uh, there's a guy that, that I'm, I'm really close to. And every Sunday I talk to him, talk about trying to go to his basketball games. And I hadn't seen him since the pandemic. And service was over and he walked out. And I looked at him, I said, how you doing? And he just fell in my arms crying. And then we got the opportunity to go out and have lunch together and meet, and we're going to start discipling. And the Lord's just like, man, you're, you're pouring into people's lives. And, and lives are changing. Like, you can't, you can't argue that, right? And then last night, thank you, sir. Last night, uh, I got the privilege to go over to a friend of mine's house who's moving. He's in the military, and he's moving for... Uh, different training, and they're stationing him somewhere else. And we started talking about how we met. And I remember seeing him and his wife at the gym, and they're like little Arnold Schwarzeneggers. And so I walked over to go talk to him because they, I just wanted to know him. And we struck up a friendship, and I got the opportunity to baptize him about a year later right here at Victory. And we're sitting there at his morning. He's telling some of his friends about how he met the church. And uh, It's just, you know, it's just, again, one of those moments. I, I got him a little picture frame and put the picture of him being baptized. When he came out of the water, some of y'all know him talking about, came out of the water, he flexed. And I have that picture in my office because I don't ever want to forget it. But again, because I moved here, I met him. And I got the privilege to baptize him. Uh, you guys know this. I, I, I've, been, thank you. I've been recently joining boards in our community because I really want to be involved in our community. I want our church to be a, a footprint in this community. And I recently got on a board, can't tell you where it was for the sake of this conversation, but the director of the organization, we became friends. And Saturday morning, Darla said, I think it was this past Saturday, Darla said, hey, we're going to sleep in. I said, okay, cool. I got a text real early in the morning and said, sorry, it's so early. Can you talk? I need prayer. So I jumped up, went out to our back porch, and I called him. And he started walking me through some decisions he has to make. Pretty big decisions for him. And he said, you're the first person I thought to call. And I, I met him through being on the board. You know what I mean? And I got the opportunity. We walked through some, it was some career decisions. And he saw me at the gym this past week and he walked up to me, this big old smile on his face. And he said, you know, it worked. The situation we were praying for happened great blessing for his family. I mean, we just praise God together. And then I was thinking, and I, I could do this with every one of you. I really could for the most part. Uh, I was talking to a family on our soccer team, one of the kids, and I was inviting them to our church. And she said, you know what? We were coming to your church right before the pandemic. She said, we loved it. She said, every Sunday I left emotional. She said, we can't, we just had a baby, but we can't wait to come back. But you know, I have, I have stories like that with so many people in our church, but I was thinking about Jonathan and Christina. And, you know, they lead our first impressions area. You guys know them. But we moved here. We moved with 18 people, not counting kids. And those people are insane. They're, they're, they're stupid is what they are. 
and we moved to the point this church, but you know, at some point you start to think that that's, that's where the crazy stops. Well, Jonathan and Christina found our church through LifePoint in Clarksville. They were going, they lived in Clarksville. And they started listening online during one of the series. And then they found out we were doing it at the movies and Christina told Jonathan, we gotta go there, we gotta be there in person. And they drove that morning all the way from Clarksville. They came to church here. And they kept doing it. Like once or twice a month, they drive here and they come to church here. And they love the atmosphere so much. They started talking. They, he resigned from his job. And they moved from Clarksville, left her family, and moved from Clarksville to here to be a part of Victory. And, you know, at some point, it's just cool to kind of take a moment and surround yourself with some of the things that God has done. I mean, I'm looking at you as you're handing me boxes, and you're one of the boxes. We've been called to do something for God so big. And the world's going to try to label you. And the world's going to try to limit you. Because the world knows that all your coworkers and your family members and your kids and your friends can come to know Christ and be set free through you. And the first question is, what's inside of you? Guess what? It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ in you. But when you can't get past that, listen to me. Stop for a second and reflect for a moment on what God is doing around you. Surround yourself with those things so that you can remember, hey, it's been a tough time. Oh, but I remember this. Because I have some real ammunition with the devil. And when he starts saying, you know what? You're not called to do it. You don't have the ability to do it. I'm able to start walking through things. Like, you know what, devil? Somebody gave me $65,000 to do it. Somehow we raised $175,000 to do it. So I guess God's behind it after all. You can say what you want, but somehow we've already given $100,000 to organize. Somehow we baptized this guy. I'm discipling that guy. This guy called me. These people moved here for it. I guess God wants to use me after all. Right? There's a moment for us, a moment for us where you realize, hey, I know you're not perfect. You're terrible. I met you. But it's not about you. It's about Christ in you. And all you have to do is let him use you. And if you start wondering if he can, stop for a second and look around. I was talking to Christina at Setup. She's already been impacting all these women of the church, and connecting, they're doing Bible studies together. It's amazing what God will do if you let him use you. Right? I preached a couple weeks ago that you gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable. I didn't know I was gonna give you a sermon illustration with no air conditioning. but I mean it with all my heart. More than ever, there are people all around us that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wants to use you to do it. But you gotta be willing to let him use you. So there's two ways to respond to this message. Number one is this. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you need to believe. And you start believing today. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. You believe that Jesus died for your sins. Text that number. Put that number back up for me, if you don't mind, Paul. Text that number. Let us know that you're committing your heart to Christ. Let us know that you're rededicating your life to Christ. Let us know that you're choosing to believe so that we can walk with you, can help you. That's the first step. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. If you want to believe and you're not sure, text that number. Let us know. Let us tell you more. We have discipleship class. Let us do all we can. You need to believe, okay? That's step one. Anybody in here who says, I believe, here's your step. Go tell somebody what it is you believe in. Every opportunity you have, tell them about Jesus. Bring them to church with you. Disciple them. Do all you can to get the message of Jesus Christ out there. Well, Troy, I'm not you. I know. You better be glad you're not. I'm way messed up than you. But I'm telling you, 
Christ is in you, and he's already doing stuff around you. But this pandemic has thrown us off. And when we used to go into our workplace and into the gym and into the grocery store, and, it, and we used to do all we could to tell people about Jesus, devil, you better stop. We used to do it, but now we stop. It's time to start again. Amen? Father, we thank you right now for your word. I thank you for what Peter showed us and displayed for us that somebody like him could go and preach your gospel and thousands could be saved. And there is nothing in Peter that's not in us. Everything that's in Peter is in us. It's you, Christ. And the world's tried to label us, tell us that we're not this or we're not that or we did this or we did that. They've tried to limit us, but we will not be loyal to those limitations, Father. We will know that we have the Holy Spirit in us and we will preach the gospel. We will be encouraged by what you're doing around us. We will tell every coworker. We'll tell every friend. We'll tell every Facebook friend. We'll do all we can to get them into your presence so that they can know you. They can be saved. They can be changed. They can be baptized. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. But God, let us for a moment stop and look around and see what you're doing. Let us see that you're already working. We just have to get on board with what it is you're already doing. Let us be used by you. Come on, would you just kind of, however you do, whether you put your hands in the air, put your hands in your lap, just say, Father, I want to be used by you. Say, God, use me. I want to be used by you. So that people can come to know Jesus Christ through the gospel of his salvation. If you're not saved, be saved. If you're saved, Go and tell people about his saving. Father, I do believe there's a revival. And I'm going to talk about it in a couple weeks, Father, but beyond that, it starts with our ability to just be confident in telling other people about you, Jesus. So help us to do that, I pray. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said,